Picture for a minute an elderly woman stands trapped in between the doors of a New York City train. Her head and neck are dangerously pinned between the closing doors. And no less than four people, including one New York City Metropolitan Transportation Authority employee, pass her by without showing even the slightest hint of concern. Not to mention the asshat who filmed the poor woman, never once getting up to render aid or assistance. Look at this woman, her head stuck between the doors of a train, and no one walking by seems to notice or care. It may look like a hoax, but it's not. Oh my God, that is ridiculous. Would you have stopped? <laughs> yes, I would have said, conductor, look, her head's caught in the door. Like, what do you, like, open the door. I think that's very tragic. <laughs> like, how could somebody just pass by that? not say nothing. MTA workers say it happened Tuesday afternoon. The woman was exiting the number four train at its last stop in the Woodlawn section of the Bronx when the door shut, trapping her. The video captured by an unknown rider has gone viral. Some riders admit they might not get involved because they'd fear for their own safety. Or more recently, if you haven't seen the video of the 36-year-old man who repeatedly kicked a helpless 78-year-old woman on the subway in the Bronx last month, it's not easy to watch. Fortunately, the video received more than 10 million views within days, which ultimately helped police track down and arrest Mark Gomez for felonious assault. Here's how that sounded. I'm ready. Oh! 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 I'm using the audio here to call attention to the oohs and to the ahs in the background. At least three people recorded the incident on their cell phones. They spent more time navigating their phone's operating systems to get to their cameras than they did assisting the elderly woman seated on the train. While the attack on the woman was absolutely reprehensible, some would assert that the inaction of the other passengers on that train was equally reprehensible. But why did those passengers fail to act in the time of crisis? Were they all just asshats who enjoyed watching and recording the assault? Were they cowards who were afraid to confront Gomez for picking on an elderly woman? Were they lazy? Or did they make the conscious decision not to get involved? It seems to me that what Dr. Alex Lickerman wrote in Psychology Today applies here. No four words in the English language are ever easier to say than, it's not my problem. On the other hand, could their inaction possibly be attributed to the bystander effect? The bystander effect can simply be explained like this. When you're in the midst of a large crowd, you're less likely to receive aid and assistance in the event of an emergency. I know, it seems counterintuitive. Shouldn't you be more likely to get help if there are more people around? Actually, no. And this is due to the socio-psychological phenomenon known as diffusion of responsibility. As the group increases in size, something similar to social paralysis takes hold over its members, and each person feels less responsible for taking action to do the right thing. In larger groups of people, each person tends to assume that someone else will take responsibility for acting in the time of crisis, and then no one does anything. 
From the outskirts of New York City, Slim Turkey is pseudonymously hosted by Lee Purchase, with the occasional cluck from the Yonkers love chicken himself, Mr. Slim Turkey. One of the most infamous cases of the bystander effect involved the murder of Kitty Genovese. Kitty was returning from work to her Queens, New York apartment during the early morning hours of March 13, 1964, when she was attacked and stabbed twice in the back. Genovese had been heard screaming, Oh my God, he stabbed me. Help me, help me, before collapsing on the sidewalk pavement. Several neighbors in the residential area reported hearing her screams, but attributed it to a lover's quarrel. One man even opened his seventh-floor window and yelled, Let that girl alone, which prompted the attacker, Winston Mosley, to drive away and flee the scene. Genevieve would slowly get back to her feet and make her way toward the rear entrance of the building. Yet Mosley returned ten minutes later, and after scouring the area for her, he found her lying in a hallway at the back of her building, where a locked door prevented her from entering it. Now, away from the street and its lights, Mosley continued stabbing Genovese several more times before raping her, stealing $50 from her purse, and once again fleeing the scene. The two separate attacks spanned approximately 30 minutes, and two weeks to the day after the murder, the New York Times ran a sensational front-page headline on March 27, 1964, alleging 37 who saw murder didn't call the police. The story's accuracy has since been debunked as there were only about 10 to 12 eyewitnesses who claimed to have observed the first attack and likely more ear witnesses who had heard Kitty's screams. Nevertheless, with the exception of Robert Moser, who shouted at the attacker and possibly one other person who called the police, no one acted in Kitty's defense. Kitty Genovese's murder and the surrounding story of witnesses who did absolutely nothing prompted the research into diffusion of responsibility and the bystander effect. Psychologists John Darley and Bib Latinay began the line of research demonstrating that contrary to popular belief, larger number of bystanders decrease the likelihood that someone will step forward and do something. With regard to Richard Adderson, it seems fairly obvious how the bystander effect comes into play. It may have potentially silenced passing motorists on that fateful night in February 1997 on I-84 in Fishkill, New York. How many of us have witnessed a traffic accident and done little or nothing to help? Nowadays, we all assume that the motorists themselves will call the police, or if not, someone else will inevitably call on their behalf. This, in the golden age of cell phones, where according to a recent Pew Research Center study, the vast majority of Americans, 95%, now own a cell phone. And ironically, with the disturbing amount of time American adults spend on their beloved phones, we hardly use that time to do something as simple and meaningful as calling the police to ensure that someone remains safe or that someone in need of assistance receives it quickly or just to summons the police in order to keep the peace. 
But in many respects, 1997 was a different time. Yes, those heavy brick phones were already being phased out by lighter and smaller cell phones. In fact, the year before, Motorola had released its first flip phone, the Star Trek. Yet in 1997, we were still a year away from the first phone with an internal antenna. We were two years away from the first cell phone which featured unbelievably shitty internet access. Four years away from the first Bluetooth-capable phone. Five years away from the first camera phone. Eight years away from 3G service. And finally, ten years away from the very first iPhone. I mention all of this because back in 1997, only about 33% of households, not individuals, had cell phones. And they were your basic phone with none of the bells and whistles we're accustomed to today. They were extraordinarily expensive to own and even more so to use. They were primarily used for emergencies. And that's why I believe that there was a better chance of someone making that call back in 1997 than today. That's why you carried a cell phone back then, to report an emergency. So, is it hopeless? Will we ever know who killed Richard Adderson? Well, I don't think it's hopeless. I'm reminded of a story I read about a woman who's been plagued with 40 years of guilt for never coming to the aid of an acquaintance she had in high school. She and the boy were both children of farmers in California's Central Valley. In fact, their fathers were good friends, so she and the boy were friendly as well. Yet every day when she boarded their school bus, a couple of bullies would tease the boy relentlessly while she sat silently and did nothing. And while she never felt threatened herself by the bullies and believes if she had spoken up on her acquaintance's behalf, the bullying may have stopped, she still failed to act. And that haunts her to this day because she considers herself an honest and moral person. When asked if she would do things differently today, she responded, I think I would but I don't know for sure. And that's the difference, at least for me. The person who drove by Richard Adderson that February evening in 1997 and did nothing because she assumed someone else would act in her place can now make amends for that inaction. There's a saying that I believe is incredibly relevant to this point. It says, how you do anything is how you do everything. What does that mean? Well, in short, it's the small daily habits that define who we are and how we'll act in the face of greater challenges. And this really is the key to beating the bystander effect. If you get into the habit of stepping up to help people out in small areas of life, you're much more inclined to do so when a larger crisis arises. And what does this have to do with Richard Adderson? Well, let's think about it for a minute. How many people saw what happened that fateful evening, yet not one person stopped to help? Surely someone must have seen the accident, and I believe someone may have even seen the shooting itself. Now, I know this is going to be contested. I'm on Reddit pretty often, searching for someone who might have some information about the case. And recently, a former truck driver posted that he drove the same route in the late 1990s. He said that he had been there approximately the same time of day 
and could have done a hundred push-ups on the center line without too much worrying of seeing a car. Of course, it all depended on the day and traffic patterns. Now, admittedly, I don't live in Dutchess County, but I do live close enough that I've been able to drive that same route several times since starting this podcast, and I've always observed a solid flow of traffic, albeit 21 years later. But even the New York State Police originally estimated that between 30 and 40 motorists had passed the crime scene. To me, this is a classic case of the bystander effect. I mean, Richard Adderson wasn't shot in a dark alley. Each passing motorist believed the next driver would either stop and help him or call the police. Each person that evening assumed that someone else would do the right thing. Granted, you may think like the truck driver on Reddit, that few drivers passed him and that no one noticed what occurred that evening. That's possible, but I find it hard to believe that no one saw anything. Rather, it seems to me that several people did observe something and yet didn't help. We have Slim Turkey on the line tonight. Turkey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I've seen better days. Yeah, I think we both have. But the sun will shine tomorrow, right? That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> so topic today is something that I'm kind of glad is coming after the Dr. Charlotte episode, which was pretty good. Not to toot our own horn or your horn. And I'd like to give a recognition to Dr. Charlotte and that episode. I actually found it very interesting. Um, the psychology of cold cases and everything, the spider web of it. But today we're going to talk about the bystander effect, or as known in psychology terms, diffusion of responsibility. Now, this is your topic that you wanted to discuss. And why was this so interesting to you? Because think about it. This happened not in a dark alley. This happened on the side of the road during rush hour where there were plenty of people who could have, who would have seen him, one, both stop and say, hey, I saw the accident. Two, the second he would have been shot, you know there's someone who has seen that and knows who has that memory in their head. And then there's three, there's someone who definitely saw Richard crawling back to his car on the floor, and then they all just decided someone else is going to help, which is basically the bystander effect of the fusion of responsibility. So... There's three specific scenarios just in this one case that definitely someone should have stepped in, but nobody did. Yeah, I have to agree. As I read more about diffusion of responsibility and the bystander effect, I started to think, I mean, they've had so many studies about it and how people are more likely to act when they're alone. But you're not really alone on the highway, so it, it seems to fit perfectly does fit perfectly. And that's what always bugged me about this case from the beginning. And I know we didn't get a chance to discuss it, but the fact that like when you're in a large crowd or in a large setting, right, everyone kind of looks around for someone else to take charge or to do something, right? Especially think about it. You're in traffic all the time. Someone gets pulled over. There's an accident. Oh, well, someone else is going to stop and say something, right? But that's not usually the case. This is one of them. And every day, it happens every day in our life, traffic, going to work, you see someone on the street that needs help, but you decide someone else is going to do it. 
there are plenty of scenarios where because we're in a large crowd, we figure someone else will take care of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I've been guilty of that myself. We all have. I mean, I have, too. I mean, I work in New York City, right? <laughs> we're, we're on the subway. Do you think anyone, someone sees something that, you know, unless someone actually go and does something, most people just turn a blind eye or go back on their phones and they don't really care, right? So it's not, we're all guilty of it, right? But the inaction is the worst case, right? The Just the action of just doing something stops that diffusion of responsibility and the bystander effect from occurring. So that's all you really need. That's what I kind of just want to harp on this episode about is that if you see something right, you may not need to actually do something, but you could also just single someone out in a group and say, hey, well, in a case of emergency, right? You can single someone out to, hey, make the 911 call or, hey, stop or what are you doing? You know, just something that brings attention to it, right? Because then that, that usually can lead to begin the snowball effect for something for something else to happen or someone else to say something. If we all just stand around looking and gawking, then we're not really diffusing the situation at all. Here's the thing. That's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, obviously. But I mean, in, I, that's why I prefaced it when the case of an emergency, right? It's not going to happen every day. You're not going to save someone from, you know, from a fall and then someone else, you go, oh, someone else is going to, you know, you're going to do help everyone, right? Not everyone can. But in the case of emergency, right, you can say, hey, call 911 or hey, do you need help or just small things, right? It's not, it may just be something just enough to call the the situation out so that someone else, so that more people are made aware and just are not walking by. So I was reading about the bystander effect and it's interesting. Diffusion of responsibility seems to increase as the groups are larger. Yep. So if there are less people, especially one person or two people, they're more likely to take action. Yeah, because you're looking back at each other, right? When there's like four or five, it's like when you're looking at a crowd, it, be it all becomes kind of like a blur. Think about it. When you're, in a when you're in a crowd and you look around, the faces become more of a blur to you than anything else. Instead of if you were staring at one or two other people, you know what they look like. You look them in the eye and you say, well, what are we going to do? As opposed to when you have a group of people, it's just now becomes a sea of people in your head and you're like, well, I don't really know. I don't know what anyone looked like because it's just it becomes a little overwhelming. There's also, I guess I would term it a reverse effect in a large crowd. If one person actually shows the initiative to do something, more people are likely to act. Yeah, I, I think that has something to do with the calling to action. Right. So now people are getting involved. So now people are more wanting to help as opposed to just being the first person. Right. It's kind of the. I, this is probably a horrible example, right? But going up and talking to a girl, right? No one wants to be the first guy to go up and talk to a girl, right? But once you do one, you know, it kind of kind of gets easier. It's probably a horrible example of it, but it usually takes a lot of guts to to try and be the first person to do anything, right? So you doing that in a large crowd and having everyone watch you, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on you. It does. So what is the solution? The solution is action, not to allow inaction to over to overtake you. Another piece of this that I was didn't even wasn't even aware of was the illusion of transparency, which is the tendency for people to overestimate the degree to which their personal mental state is known by others. So just because you feel anxious, some people have a better degree of a for lack of a better word, is a poker face, right? So they like I have a horrible poker face, right? So you can kind of read my emotions usually, but 
when it comes to poker, I'm pretty good. Junk turkey, gobble. But in a situation of emergency, you may be paralyzed by fear that you nobody can know that you're in a state of distress or that you're anxious and that you want to do something. So you need to, at that point now, either just take a step forward and do something or no, the only option really is to take a for step forward and try and do something, right? Trying to overcome that anxiety, especially in the case of emergency. As long as someone takes that first step, like you said, it helps everyone else fall in line. All right. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. One of the most infamous cases of the bystander effect was the Kitty Genovese case, right? Yep. There was someone who actually opened up his window yep. on the seventh floor and said, leave that girl alone. She had already been stabbed, I believe, two times at that point. You would think someone may have reacted to that gentleman opening up his window and saying well, that. Well, it did because the guy initially left, right? And he, I think he circled the block or something. And then he came back and Kitty had crawled back to the back or like a, a back courtyard or something. And the guy found her. And then he can, you know, he had the time and the, the place now to finish what he started, unfortunately. But if that first person and then if someone had followed up and try and gotten her, I even think the first person called 911, if I'm not, if I'm correct. I've read so many different articles on it. One article said that police claim that no one called. I've read accounts where two people have called. I've read accounts where one person has called. But I know for certain that the original New York Times headlines that read 37 or 38 people saw what happened and did nothing was factually incorrect. There were maybe 10 people who actually witnessed it. There were a lot more people who heard it. Uh, nevertheless, with the exception of maybe one or two people, and that includes the man who screamed out of his window, no one did anything. I mean, yeah, and that's technically the first case that it was ever labeled the bystander effect, right? Something had happened. People casually stepped in, but not enough. And then the suspect was able to, you know, fleed, but stopped, but no one the inaction for anyone to follow up and do anything is what also ultimately led to her to being attacked again. Right. Had someone stepped up after the the kill initial attack, yeah. Right. And tried to help her after the after the killer had fled the first time, there may have been a different outcome. Yeah, if someone would have just went and checked on her and been there when he circled back around, he was less likely to fight someone that was willing and able and, and, you know, and assisting her as opposed to just fighting someone who was already injured and kind of already defenseless. All right. So let's relate this to the Richard Adderson case. Someone saw the accident. Someone saw him shoot Richard. Someone also saw Richard crawling back to his car. There's three instances that someone could have stopped and done something. Okay. Two of those three are a lot more likely to have occurred than the three out of three. It's very likely that someone witnessed the accident. It's also very likely that someone saw and actually police 
had released back in 1997 and 1998 that passing motorists did give a description of not only Richard, but of his killer. And it's also likely that someone passed on that road watching a man crawling on his hands and knees back to his car. But my whole point in this episode is what could they have done in 1997 when the technology didn't really exist where everyone was carrying a cell phone? They could have been there in his hour of deed, whether one, if someone had stopped when they saw the accident, probably the the, um, the assailant wouldn't have used the gun and he would have been less likely to have to shoot two people instead of maybe shooting one, right? Someone definitely saw, someone saw the, the shot. They may not know what they've seen, but they definitely saw Richard getting shot, right? I mean, it's not something people know, but you're going to hear a noise even in traffic. The, a gunshot is not quiet, right? And then someone definitely would have seen after he would have got shot, the guy leaving and Richard on the floor and then known something had happened to him. So I still think three out of three. You have your opinion. I have mine. But I just think it's on the side of the highway. Any given point, you know, anyone's going to see it. Whether or not they know they're seeing it, they saw it. I'm very happy that you actually brought this subject up. Now, you're saying that you believe that someone witnessed the accident. So these two cars get into that minor traffic accident. Someone witnessed that. Someone witnessed them pulling off to the side of the road and arguing. Someone witnessed the killer pull out his gun and shoot Richard. And then someone witnessed Richard crawling from the scene back to his car, where he called 911. Yes. In all of those scenarios, can that person make amends for staying quiet? Of course. By saying something now. I saw what happened and then speaking to the police and saying, hey, this is what I remember. This is what I recall. And then, you know, because right now the police don't have anything. The time to talk is now, right? Don't let any more time fade away. What did I say? Inaction is the worst thing you can do at this point now. Take the the onus on it and say, you know what? It's time to say something. Take the responsibility of saying, you know. Not even a responsibility, but just take the action of saying something and raising your hand and saying, hey, I saw this and, you know, I was there. And bringing it back to light and then giving the cops something to work with. I couldn't help but think when I was reading all of these articles and studies on the bystander effect, it made me really think that by and large, we're we're fucking sheep. It's a funny way of putting it. But yeah, the fact that, you know, when we're in a large crowd and we see something that offends us or we don't like, we have more than a tendency to not say anything. And just to go on our way, I think the first issue is just self-preservation, right? You don't want to get involved in a situation that may cause injury or harm to yourself. Yeah, or it's not my business, right? So I'm not getting involved. Well, I I say in the podcast, there are no four words in the English language that are ever easier to say. It's not my problem. I knew you were going to say that. We all have stories where... Something was happening and, you know, we didn't say anything and, you know, we all just assumed, oh, someone said something or, oh, it probably blew over. But we don't know, right? Maybe something escalated and things got worse. Yeah. Well, hopefully this is broadcast out to someone who may have been there that night, that evening on February 5th, 
1997. That's the goal, yeah. right? And maybe that person didn't go to police, but got home and told their spouse or told their child or told their friend, coworker, someone, maybe that person who was told of the incident may come forward also. That or maybe the guilt that's rotting in them <laughs> helps them to come forward. The guilt that's rotting in them. Someone knows something, man. Someone saw something on that day and they're not coming forward. It's It wasn't a dark alley. If it was a dark alley, then yeah, fine. We can't ask the bricks to uh, unload their uh, guilt on us, right? But someone saw something and they were going home. Maybe they were in a bad mood and they didn't know what they saw, but someone saw something, man. Yeah. All right, you got anything else? No, I'm good. Well, then I'm good. Okay, how was that? I think that was good. We got 31 minutes and 28 seconds. I'm going to um, edit this down to uh, 45 seconds, and uh, we should be good. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking <laughs> So is there anything that we can do, any way to combat the bystander effect? The key is action, cultivating those small daily habits of helping other people. Don't leave it to someone else. Whether it's giving up your seat on the bus or holding the door for someone whose arms are full, you can be the one to take action. And don't just leave it up to chance. Decide in advance that the next time you see something you can do to help, you'll do it. Cultivate the habit of doing this in small day-to-day -day areas of life, and you'll find it much more instinctual to do it when the bigger situations arise. Remember, how you do anything is how you do everything. Finally, I would like to make an appeal to anyone who knows something about Richard Adderson's murder. Maybe you think that what you saw or know is insignificant, or maybe you feel guilty for not coming forward sooner. Whatever the case, remember that every lead, even those that are seemingly insignificant, may help us get closer to finding justice for Richard and for his family. Please, speak up now. It's never too late to do the right thing. As always, I want to thank you for listening to the show. And we invite you to check back very soon for our next and final episode where we'll wrap up the series. And if you like the show, fatten up this turkey with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Also, check us out on Instagram and Twitter. For now, I'm Lee Purchase, and this is Slim Turkey. It's not the same as it was The last time I was here Hedges and cars There were people In their homes Saying prayers And through the fog Late at night We would walk And we'd sing And give the kids a real fright And go back home Still some gin
you 